All right, I got two of my favorite guests in today. You heard that, Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. First, Corinne, Corinne Heggie from Heggie Walkner Law. After that, and we're going to jump right in because we only got an hour. We're taking you up to Northwestern football at 2 o'clock. And Audrey Anderson, have you ever seen me this fired up? I have not. You are very, very jazzed about yes. this exciting topic. Yeah, asset forfeiture. Well, it is interesting because when I think of asset forfeiture, I think of what I see on TV or the movies, a big drug bust by the police and they take millions in cash or the feds do and they seize it away from you. And I think we can all agree that in those situations, asset forfeiture makes sense, right? Absolutely. You need to take away, and that's really what hurts these kingpins. That's what hurts their bottom lines is you take away their money. Definitely. Is that the majority of asset forfeiture cases? No, that's the 1%. If that. If that. If, right. If that. Most of the everyday daily is a 25-year-old car and a couple hundred dollars, maybe $1,000 in cash. All right. That's it. Well, let's break down why this is legal and how it works. In the vast majority of states, I think only a few states have gotten rid of this, Someone, the police or the prosecutors, can take something if they believe what? So law enforcement, police can take cash, car, clothing, anything, sunglasses, anything that they use have that they believe has been used or bought by illegal narcotics or other proceeds. Or if uh, a car has been used in the commission of a crime, like you, you steal from Jewel and you flee the scene in a car. They can take your car or you're driving with a suspended license because it's revoked for a DUI. They can take your car. Those sort of make sense to me, but there's other situations that don't. So what is the level of proof that they have to offer? Like, what is the mechanism in which this happens? Can it just be the officer that saw it there and they say, I, I, I took it? Do they have to file paperwork with the judge? How does that work? Right. So it's civil case. So the standard is preponderance. It's not criminal beyond a reasonable doubt. If you're criminally charged, the officer just has to file some paperwork with the prosecutor. The prosecutor now then files paperwork with the judge to have a hearing before a judge within 14 days. But not even 10 years ago, a prosecutor didn't even have to go before a judge if it was a less than a certain dollar amount. Okay. They can just mail a letter to the alleged perpetrator's home saying, we seized $1,000 from you. You have 45 days or 30 days to respond. If we don't hear from you, it's seized. And then nothing gets sent to the prosecutor and the police department, the prosecutors, they all get to keep the cash. Okay. So, and yeah, you're a lot of times we're talking about cash here. Let's say that you do respond and you go by yourself. To, do you get to go to court hearing and plead your case or what? You do. You get to set it for a hearing before the judge. And then you present your case as to why the funds are legitimate and why they're not illegal proceeds or why they haven't been purchased. Something hasn't been purchased by illegal proceeds like your coach purse or your Gucci sunglasses. Prosecutors can take those too, saying you don't have a legitimate income or source of income. So it must have been bought by drug proceeds. Okay, which is taking a leap. But again, in that hearing, it's a preponderance of evidence, right? Correct. And the prosecutor just has to show that there's some sort of nexus or connection to illegal drug proceeds or illegal criminal proceeds. How many on average, and I know you're probably just taking a guess at this, defendants with a lawyer actually show up to an asset forfeiture hearing? Oh, less than half, I'm sure. Less than half. So most people don't. 
maybe they moved, maybe they didn't have the time, they thought it was gone, there's nothing they can do. That would probably represent the majority of cases. Right, and then there's a filing fee. So say they seize $500. Well, you have to pay $200, $300 for a filing fee, then take time off of work or make arrangements to figure out how court works, to hop on Zoom or go in person. So you're spending all this time and money to get back $500, $1,000. Some people just say, forget about it. Right. And that dollar amount you bring up is an important point because a lot of prosecutors, attorneys, police say this is an important tool that we have at our disposal to go after criminals. But I've been reading and I've been doing a lot of research on this. They say that the median currency forfeiture is $1,276. Kingpins are not what most of the time this is used for, right? Absolutely. It's just users or sometimes people that innocently have money. For example, I've had clients that live paycheck to paycheck, so they get paid weekly. So maybe they're a user, so they just got paid. They don't have the credit to get a bank account or um, any kind of account where they can store money, so they just cash their check and they have it with them. They go buy drugs and then officer sees their legitimate paycheck. Right. So they, so they did commit a crime and they should be charged for that. But the, the money was a separate thing. It was a whole different thing. Correct. Right. They legitimately had it from their actual work. Right. And someone might say, well, they're a drug user. We have a lot of drug users in our community. I think we now have started to learn to that rehabilitation is such an important thing over always immediately going to jail. It's hard to rehabilitate when your assets are taken from you, correct? Absolutely, because a lot of these clients that I've had, they don't have health insurance. They're getting paid not necessarily legitimately. It might be off the books. They don't have health insurance. So they really or have undiagnosed mental health issues. So that's why they're using drugs to begin with. But their cash, that's legitimately theirs, but they can't prove it. So that's the down part. They have to prove that it's legitimate. Mm -hmm. And what happens to the money, the cars? Who benefits from that when they are seized? The law enforcement agency and the prosecutors, they each get a percentage and the Illinois State Police. To do what with? They have to use it for law enforcement purposes. So that could be purchasing computers or phones, paying phone bills, uniforms, equipments, anything that's law enforcement purposes. Are these small parts of their budgets or do they end up being big parts of their budgets? It could be substantial parts of a police department or a law enforcement a prosecutor's budget. And I appreciate you here on this topic because you worked in the state's attorney's office for DuPage County. So you were probably involved on the other side of this too, right? I was. I was absolutely involved in the other side, signing these letters off to people who had their cash seized or their property seized. Okay. All right. So another interesting wrinkle in this is something called, and I'll have to scroll down to find it on my screen, but basically the federal government, the Department of Justice, can actually, it's like a sharing agreement, can take the assets from local offices, local police offices, prosecutors, and they pay 80%. It is called, uh, I'm looking at it right now, uh, basically they can take 80% of the proceeds from the sale of property regardless of state law, and that the federal government has paid out $8.8 billion to state and local agencies taking people's assets. Does that line up with what you've seen? Absolutely. It very much does. This is a significant boost for local law enforcement budgets. It's a good way to make ends meet for them because they don't necessarily get the approval to raise taxes, raise for salaries or other equipment that law enforcement and prosecutors need. And we should also say that there are police departments that need more funding. This is not an argument against that. And they need the tools to be able to fight legit criminals, legit kingpins, all this sort of stuff. 
So this is difficult. It's not as simple as saying, don't ever do this. That's not okay, right? There's, It's a big gray area. Right. It's a very legitimate purpose. I mean, hitting people in their pocketbook, their wallet, their money, things being seized, that's a huge dent that could be in drug trafficking. And it's a huge boost for law enforcement for budgets. All right. We're going to take a break. I want a couple more examples. We've talked about a few where you just kind of scratch your head and wonder how this is possible and how people can find out what to do. They can call you, right, Audrey? Anderson? Definitely. They can definitely reach out. They can give us a call or reach out to us through our website. All right. And uh, aaanderson.com, right? Am I getting that right? Anderson AA. Anderson AA. I messed it up. I had it on my screen. I did that yesterday too. Andersonaa.com. I'll say it five more times before we're done. All right. Well, quick, quick break. Then more on WGN. 720 WGN. Let's get legal. Powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. Andersonaa.com. The number is 630-877-5800. If someone's had their assets taken from them, how quick should they call? They need to call right away because they will have a hearing before the judge within 14 days. And the assets then, they have 45 days to file. If not, then it could get seized. So within not even two months, your car, your cash, your belongings are gone. What? Right, because they could use the car for undercover work or something like that. Correct. But if they sell your car to the federal government or something, is that car ever getting back? Oh, no, definitely not. I mean, it's gone. Once the car is sold, or it can be sold at auction, police auctions. The sheriff's yeah. office has auctions, other departments. The Blues Brothers gone. benefited from that? They definitely did. Is that the second show in a row we've referenced the Blues Brothers? I think so, yeah. but that is a great movie. Yeah, I know, exactly. Okay, let's also make the, the point here that, again, if the drug kingpins pushing heroin and the cops take their money and use it to buy bulletproof vests, thumbs up, right? Oh, absolutely. No one disagrees with that. That's right. that's great. And so but the problem is these trickle down things that then impact people and often people in a lower socioeconomic class who don't have the resources to fight these things who may be in an element that might make them crime adjacent. They know people who take their car and do things with it. And then that car is gone. And now they're in a situation where they can't even get up on lift themselves up by their bootstraps and quotes because you've taken away their boots. Right. Right. Absolutely. Or if a search warrant gets executed at your home and they don't find any drugs or maybe uh, or any paraphernalia, but they still seize computers or TVs. I mean, how many people actually hang on to the receipts to show, yeah, I bought it from Best Buy or Costco? Well, if you can't have receipts showing, yeah, I bought that gigantic flat screen TV, officers are going to say, yeah, you must have used drug proceeds because you don't have a job and you have no receipts for how you bought that computer, that laptop, that flat screen TV. We're going to take that. It's so, drug proceeds. So in the TV, even if it had nothing to do with the crime, if they think that you bought it with a criminal... Oh, and also I should point out, so first of all, let me get two thoughts out at once here. If they think that you bought the TV using the money from a crime, that's fair game, right? Correct. Do they ever have to charge you with the crime? No, never. In fact, a lot of people don't get charged with a crime. Or sometimes if they do get charged with a crime, it could be two years later. So they take your stuff. You have only a couple days to raise a point. That money goes into their, not their pockets, individual police officers, but they go to their departments, sometimes for legitimate purposes, but sometimes... New countertops, new desks can be classified as, you know, helping fight drug, uh, drug cartel, whatever it is. And you're never charged with a crime, never gone before a judge. 
Correct. We've had many clients who are just visiting. So they'll fly in, they'll have a rental car, they may have cash because they're purchasing a business or they're doing some sort of investment. There are traffic stops on the expressway, there's a bag of cash. Sometimes it can only be a couple thousand, sometimes it can be 400,000 plus. Law enforcement seizes it. Well, you're not even from here, you're from Minnesota or back east. What would be, how would they seize it if they, if they what? Smelled weed from a previous person that was in the car or something? Correct. If they detect the odor of cannabis or they see something suspicious or a lot of times the officers will just ask for consent because the officers phrase it, you have nothing to hide, right? So why don't we search? And our client feels like they have no choice. They have to say, yes, you're right. I don't have anything to hide, I suppose. And clients don't think they have anything to hide because that money is legitimately theirs. So this sounds like a very... Very specific example, and I think people would go, well, that's crazy, but how often does that happen? How often do things like this happen? It happens a lot. Really? It really does. I know you were using an example earlier that I think maybe other people can relate to. Maybe they have a friend or a family member who has anxiety. That person has a Xanax pill that they give them. They lend their friend. The script wasn't for them. That's illegal. You're not supposed to do that, right? Correct. And something happens. And you are in like you have an example similar to that, right? Definitely. We unfortunately have a lot of clients where they'll maybe get traffic stopped for some reason, speeding, or you know they didn't use a turn signal. Officers search a car for whatever reason, and they find a pill in our client's wallet or purse. Uh-huh. Well, then their car gets seized because our client could be eventually charged with possession of controlled substance because our client did not have a prescription for that Xanax pill or Adderall pill. But what does the car have to do with that? Well, because that car was used to transport that illegal drug that they didn't have a prescription for. So it facilitated... Them. Or like they were that they just had come from buying that pill or something Correct. and drove back home. Correct. Even if they went to their neighbor who knows that Nancy has anxiety and gave her Xanax for her flight or something. Correct. Okay. We had a great question on the text line. What happens if the asset, like a car, still has payments on it? It's not paid off. Right. So they can still seize it. So depending on how much is left still with the loan, that happens all the time. So the police officers and the prosecutors will look to see how much is on the loan. So say it's a or $60,000 car and you only owe forty still, then... Law enforcement, they sell it, they pay off the loan. So they do and pay they off the it. loan, okay. They can, yes, so and you, keep the car. Okay, so you're not making the payments on it until while they took it from you. Oh, no, you still are making the payments while they take the car from you. So while this process is pending, and ah. unfortunately I have a client, it's been pending two years, she still had to make loan payments for a car she had bought a month before it was seized. So she's been making car payments, she's paying the vehicle registration, insurance on this car, hoping to eventually get it back, and she will any day now, but two years because she can't default on her payment. So if you're successful in getting that car back, can you get those payments back or no? There's no redress for that. Right. You have nothing that you can do. What is the solution for this? Because some states have gone to a threshold where you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. I believe Maine, I don't want to scroll through this article to find the others. Nowhere near here. Illinois is not in this case. Uh, Where do we go? How do we find the middle ground? Because as we said, there are legit reasons for this. Right. It it, it is. And a lot of time prosecutors will be reasonable when you just explain to them and and do the background. Or if you go to a, a trial before a judge, you just explain the legitimate sources that your client has. You bring in their employer, I suppose, to testify. No, they really do have a job here at us. So you do have prosecutors and judges that do listen, but it is a difficult burden for them. I'd want a lawyer at that hearing. You should absolutely have a lawyer because the prosecutors, this is all that they do. They're well-versed in forfeiture, asset forfeiture, seizure law. They travel to seminars, so they're up on all the case laws. Wait, so. they go to seminars on how to do this? Oh, absolutely. Because this helps the prosecutor's office? 
Correct. Because they get part of this asset forfeiture, right? Correct. And law enforcement, they go to seminars on this as well. Okay. I, like, I'm, I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. And I know, and you know, I'm sure there's police officers listening to this that say, no, this is, a, this is an important tool that we have. I get it. I bet it is. I bet there's legit reasons. There is, this is one of those many issues in this world, like most of them. It's not black and white. This is a very gray area. And it's a very, you know, it feels a little unconstitutionally a little bit, right? It's, a, it's against like what we're supposed to be as a country, that private property is private. Anyways, I'll get off my soapbox, Audrey. Uh, I imagine a lot of people like talking about this, so it's an interesting topic. It definitely is because you can absolutely see both sides. It's a great tool for law enforcement to keep them safe, to get them the supplies and give them a budget that they need. But then on the flip side, for the actually truly innocent person yeah. who gets unfortunately hurt by this. I want to read the 763 texts that came and they said, well, what's the deterrent? Knock on criminals' doors and ask that they kindly stop breaking the law and doing drugs? That's a fair point, right? You do need to hurt criminals where in their, in their pocketbooks. Right. That's and a great tool to use. You're right, 763. Very true. And this is exactly the reason the law is because you do hit them in the pocketbook. So if you can't take the drugs, you take the cash that funds this entire drug process. But there's people that don't even commit crimes that get their cars taken. And, and maybe they do commit a crime, like the pill example, but the car had nothing to do with it. And they're trying to get back on their feet. Maybe they are someone who has you know, had a problem with prescription drugs. Now you took their car. They can't get a job. They're still making payments on that car for two years. And now they're just digging themselves in a further hole. That happens too. It does happen, unfortunately. But law enforcement, they you know, they try to do a good job and try to balance yes. it. And not every law enforcement officer will seize a car just because it's one pill. Okay. So a lot of officers do have some discretions to say, you know what, we understand it's just an isolated incident. Right. It's not black and white where they must. It's a requirement. Right. And we're using specifics, just the real specifics, examples, just to highlight this. Okay. If you have anything seized from you or anything that you need defense for, 630-877-5800, AndersonAA.com. Audrey, thanks for joining us. Thanks again for having me.